Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, you are on Futuro Latino podcast. And I am so happy to record today because we have a special guest. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this special guest that means a lot for the state of Idaho. Um, Kaylee Peterson is a 32-year-old mother of two and a full-time college student double majoring in political science and criminal justice as the president of the eight-time national championship speech and debate team she has a passion for policy and government with an ability to look at complicated issues from any angle as the chief of staff of her school she championed the collaboration between faculty staff and students while pursuing programs that enhance the students' experience on campus. She has experience working for local campaigns, nonprofits, and volunteer events, as well as being a foster parent. As a sixth-generation Idahoan, she grew up learning about the values that made Idaho great. Perseverance, community, collaboration, and kindness, values that are getting harder and harder to find in our political leadership. Kelly and her husband Trevor just celebrated their 10 year wedding anniversary and raised their two school age children on a street named after her great grandfather. Kelly, that Kelly is committed to bring a reason. Me partition leadership back to Idaho to focus on the issues that truly matter, putting people over party and rebuilding accountability and transparency in our political process. Thank you so much, Kaylee, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Being able to speak today about the issues that matter to the people of Idaho is such a privilege, and I can't wait to get into the issues. Thank you so much, Kelly. I wanted to um, mention to our audience that we are extremely excited, uh, first of all, because uh, you are running uh, for um, House Representative for District Number 1. This is a seat in Congress, nationwide, representing the state of Idaho. So you are with the Democratic Party. And uh, your opponent right now so far is uh, Fulcher, correct? Yes, I am incredibly lucky because Idaho's first congressional district is 19 counties. It is 500 miles long. It goes from the Canadian border all the way down to the Nevada border. And I have the opportunity to run against somebody, uh, Russ Fulcher, who I truly believe has not served the interests for the people of Idaho. And so when I found out the seat was running unopposed, even though I was still in the middle of completing my associate's degree in order to go into policy, I decided now was the time to stand up and run against, I think, the old school style of politics that is not serving us well. So I have a question before we start with, with all the questions that we have for you today. Um, what, um, the state of Idaho has been a, a Republican state for a long, long time. Uh, what, uh, what do you think will be a, a way to change the mind of others that will interest for them to vote to you? Absolutely. There are a couple aspects that are really important to focus on right now. One, there's been a super majority for the Republican Party in Idaho for 
decades. And yet we are not seeing any of the benefits to the people that they claim to bring. We're not seeing lower taxes. We're not seeing accessible health care. We're seeing a decline in our education, in our infrastructure. We have several hospitals in rural Idaho right now that are on the brink of bankruptcy. So people are experiencing firsthand that Idaho is struggling. And that is due only to one party's power in this state. Secondly, we have such a divisive, escalated atmosphere in our political discourse right now. We are seeing fringe elements, militias, and an extreme far right that has degraded the quality of our political discourse in this state. And so what I'm hoping to do is have people look beyond the label, look beyond Democrat, look beyond Republican, and just find real leadership that is only focused on the issues that affect us on a day-to-day -day basis, getting dark money and corporate interests out of our political process and bringing it back to the people. Thank you so much, Kaylee, because a lot of times people are asking, uh, you know, um, idiosmatic experienced people that are in politics, but we also, it's kind of like contradiction, uh, taking into consideration that the last president that we have was not necessarily a political person. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm a big believer that the only experience we really need from the people we elect to office is for someone to be policy-minded and to some, for somebody to be able to look at the big picture, look at the impact it has on people. Because the number of years that you serve in government doesn't necessarily equate to how proficient or how much benefit you've brought to the people you serve. And I do think that people are looking for outsiders they're looking for people who don't have giant corporate connections that are just members of the community that care desperately about what happens to the people in their community. And that's what I do. Uh, I've been incredibly interested in policy and government since I was a little kid. I think I was writing the Clinton administration at eight years old to criticize their handling of Kosovo. I was doing public speaking engagements by the age of 12 to 13 for social workers, family advocates, and guardian ad litems on how to support LGBTQIA plus students and diverse students in the foster care system. And then my um, activism and volunteer work led to a position on a campaign locally in 2008. And that's as a teenager. So if people care enough to get involved in the process, then that's what we really should be looking for. Well, uh, definitely. And then with that said, we're going to start with the first question. Um, the first question that we have, this is something that happened recently, and this is in regards to uh, role being reversed by the Supreme Court and uh, how how this has affected and is will be affecting to um, millions of women, I will say, nationwide. Uh, in the state of Idaho, uh, the trigger laws are already in place, will, will be in place within 30 days as soon as this month ends. And um, so we are in a very tough times. Um, um, as a congresswoman, how would you uh, defeat or what would you propose uh, when you take seat as a congresswoman uh, from the state of Idaho? 
this is probably one of the biggest issues that we will see maybe in this generation. I remember the morning that the Dobbs decision came down, uh, me and a few other female candidates were waiting to see if it would come out. And the fear and frustration and the uncertainty about our future was really heavy that morning. So we all met immediately. I think we met 30 minutes after the decision dropped. And we co-wrote an op-ed about the emotions that women across this field and vulnerable communities, not just women, are feeling because of this decision and what we need to do. So there are a few different ways we need to look at this. One, from a federal standpoint, as a congresswoman, it is going to be incredibly difficult for the feds to protect abortion rights in this country. There are a few things that need to happen. We need to uh, disperse the filibuster so that the minority cannot block uh, legislation about abortion. We need to look at the Supreme Court and their efficacy in today's environment. The Supreme Court has been expanded several times throughout the history of this country, and yet it has not been expanded during the biggest population boom that we've seen in a century. And so we need to continue the tradition of expanding the Supreme Court to better represent the needs of the population. Expanding the Supreme Court gives us the opportunity to then protect abortion rights again. And lastly, with those two things in place, we can codify Roe and we can instill federal legislation that protects women, whether it's traveling to receive abortions, uh, protects abortion clinics, protects privacy, because that's really what this comes down to. It comes down to a woman's ability to make decisions for their body. And while I know that the other side will argue uh the fact is science says that there's viability concerns and the majority of women dealing with this issue, it is not clear cut. It is often miscarriages, viability, survival. But even if it wasn't, the only person who can make that kind of personal medical decision is a woman and her doctor. That is correct, and, and thank you so much for for all the comment because we, it's important for people to know where you stand on the, in the on those regards, especially for women, and for all the men that support women as well. Um, the second question that we have for you is about economy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we know that inflation is something that is touching every household. Um, now we know that after the COVID, people have been trying to catch up with work. Uh, and, and we also know that the interest rate were really low, which wasn't necessarily healthy for the economy. Uh, now uh, the, uh, the new administration is facing what was left for them, and uh, they have to uh, face as well the economical crisis that COVID caused as well. Um, for the families that are suffering right now and that are going through some economical situations, crisis, uh, small budget, tight budget, what would you, um, as a congresswoman, what would you, um, is there any particular bill or any uh, anything, any suggestion that you have in mind? 
Absolutely. Inflation is the number one thing affecting us on a day-to-day basis because when we're unable to afford groceries or gas or be able to live securely in the life that we're living, that's what Congress needs to be focusing on. That has to be our top priority. There are a couple things I want to address with inflation because while we hear this idea that inflation is bringing prices up, we also see, uh, based on the Fed's reports, that corporations have the highest profits that they've seen in at least 50 years. And so when we have corporations making more money than they've ever made, but then saying they need to raise the prices for consumers, what that tells me is that we need consumer protections in place. We need accountability so that corporations cannot price gouge working class families in this country after we lose a million American citizens to a pandemic. So uh, we've seen this this administration already produce anti-price gouging legislation, legislation my opponent voted against uh, in this last election. And then he talks about inflation and its effects on families. So there are a few different ways. One, we fight price gouging and we protect people's ability to afford gas and necessities. But also we have to look at how much we're paying families. Inflation happens, what, every 15 years? And yet our wages and our salaries have not met the demand that inflation has. And so we need to prioritize working class families, blue collar jobs, and the amount of money employees make in this country. You should not be able to be one of the wealthiest families in this in this country and pay your employees a wage in which they need federal assistance to survive. So protecting employees, protecting the working class, unionizing uh, is an incredible way to protect families from the effects of inflation. And I think when we uh, treat all aspects of society, then we'll see that inflation doesn't have such a hard effect. You made me think about what uh, Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez mentioned in regards to the percentage of taxes that the corporations paid uh, versus a percentage of taxes that an individual pay. Uh, Would you agree with her? It's hard because in Idaho, when we talk about things like labor unions, employee salaries, things like this, my opponent would call it communism or socialism. What I call it is accountability. If we want free market capitalism in this country, then the government cannot pick sides. And right now it has. It has put the entirety of our tax burden on the working class instead of the corporations, which rake in billions of dollars, outsource labor, taking away American jobs, paying Americans the bare minimum to survive in most cases. So I want accountability. And that means tax brackets, that means loopholes, that means closing the ways in which the government has has preferred corporate interests over that of working class. So absolutely, I agree. Definitely. Thank you so much. I think this is something that um, I would love for people to share as well, because it's important to educate ourselves on what's happening and, and you know, to know the people that you need to vote for, for your best interest. Um, 
during this, uh, I would say in the last, hmm, oh goodness, about in the last five, six years, we've been seeing a lot of um, racial injustice. Um, we know that racial issues in the, in the United States has been part of the history of it. And I know that uh, has been uh, some uh, white supremacy groups that have arisen since the last president that we have, um, uh, Donald Trump. And, uh, and then also the abuse that the police officers have uh, all over the country. Uh, we also have seen the systematic racism in the U.S. as a part of the, uh, not only history, but stays up today. Uh, I have really hard time when people come and say, well, people do have the opportunities to be and do whatever they want. And that's, I don't believe is necessarily true. Uh, I think when people are growing up in different conditions and circumstances that were limited, don't have the same equality that someone else that had at all. So um, uh, racial injustice, we have uh, quite a bit uh, uh, right now that is happening. So as a Congresswoman, what would, what would you suggest uh, for these two start uh, something positive happening? This is such an important issue to talk about, but also a difficult one, because right now it's being used as a tool in order to divide voters. Uh, for me personally, I look at my life. Uh, I went through pretty horrific trauma in my teenage years. Uh, I started with almost nothing after an incredibly abusive situation, and I was able to escape that situation at a young age and start over. Um, I also know that other people who would have been in the same situation as me in marginalized communities would not have been able to get out or get the respect or, or the opportunities that I had once I escaped that situation. Um, I feel that I have benefited from the very white privilege that we see in today's society. And it's, it's difficult to communicate that to people because they look at their own lives and they say, I don't have it easy. Life is incredibly difficult. I struggle to make ends meet. But we have to be very clear and concise about what we're talking about here. We look at Ruby Ridges and what was that, 65 years ago? So in the time that many of our parents were still alive is when we finally desegregated schools. I mean, all of our data shows inherent bias in our criminal justice system and the way that we view situations. So when we use terms like racism or, or racial injustice, I think it's important to define that because everyone thinks KKK, like it's 80 years ago. But we know so much more than we knew at that time. We understand psychologically the effects that certain things have. And it's important to incorporate that into our understanding of how we govern. It's difficult answering this question because I personally think that there are enough community leaders, whether it's in the Black community, the Latino community, or all of these communities who are already trying to teach this nation these very things. And really what I should have to do is just make space and give them a platform so that they have a voice in this issue. Um, 
But unfortunately, I'm the one with the microphone. And I think it's important that I bring this up is that there are respected community leaders who are already saying these very things. And we need to believe, we need to trust in what we're hearing the community say. That, and I I often relate it to a company. If you have 87% of your company reporting the same negative experience and 13% saying, no, 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 I haven't seen that. Why are we throwing away the opinion and voices of 87% of this country? Because when Black Lives Matter started, 87% approval rating within the Black community agreed and related with their stance. And that's a profound number. And so there is so much that we need to do as representatives, not just by listening, but by making space and creating safe areas for people of color and vulnerable communities to bring their experiences to the forefront because they deserve to be addressed just as much as any other issue on my on my table. Definitely. Thank you so much for that comment. I think it's really important because this is something that I know is hard to talk about, but we have to because it's it's, it's happening and it will continue to happen. And I think in order for the country to heal itself, um, we have to recognize what the problem is. And then from there, we can start fixing it and then eventually overcome. But if we just, you know, sweep around the rock, we can't really do much about it. Um, Gun control. This is a very delicate one as well. I'm just giving you the delicate (laughs) ones. Uh, Gun control. With more than 300 shootings in the U.S. since January of this year, how do you think we can prevent this? And do you believe teachers should be armed? I just saw a shocking statistic, and I think we all saw it that gun violence has become the number one death, uh, cause of death for children in this country. That is a shocking statistic. And when we look at other democratic nations, most of them ranked as more healthy democracies than our own, we do not see the same issues of gun violence. They have mental health issues, they have hate issues, they have all the other same issues that Americans deal with but without the gun violence. And so that really leaves only one culprit. And it is our complete lack of gun legislation. And when we have conversations about this, I see people talking about it as all or nothing. That any legislation about guns is to take away gun rights completely. And that's just not the case. No one is proposing that we take away guns or take guns out of homes. What we are proposing are things we have already seen work to save the lives of our citizens and our children. Even Ronald Reagan wrote a letter in support of the uh, what's now called the assault weapon ban of 1994. Ronald Reagan, the conservative hero in this country, was in support of it. And for the 10 years that ban was in place, we saw a drastic drop in the number of mass casualty deaths. But that's not where we have to stop, because if mental health, uh, as my opponent claims, mental health and hate are the culprit, then we need to be more careful about who gets their hands on weapons like this. So background checks and registrations with trainings are the easiest way in which we can keep guns out of dangerous hands. 
So I absolutely support background checks. I absolutely support limiting magazine capacity and the ways in which these offenders are getting such high casualty numbers. And no, I in no way support arming teachers. Uh, first, I have heard from uh, the teachers in this state who were begging, begging legislators not to ask them to be armed in their classrooms. They already have such a huge, enormous burden in this country, are paid woefully low wages, and to now expect them to safely operate a classroom while armed and expect that they are now supposed to kill a potential student who comes in with a gun uh, is just not common sense legislation. And, and when we look at how we're supposed to lead, we're supposed to listen to our constituents. And my constituents are saying this is absolutely not what they want or need. And there, the data isn't there to show that that helps. We look at Uvalde. There were good guys with guns standing out in the hallway. And yet for an hour, the victims in that crisis suffered without help. It's unimaginable. So the, the issue isn't that there aren't enough guns out there because we are the most armed nation in the world and yet we still have the highest rates of gun violence. The issue is who's able to get their hands on guns and lobbying interests that have convinced Americans that the Second Amendment means that we can't legislate any issues surrounding firearms. That's just not unreal. That's unrealistic. Well, it's really, it's a really tough thing because it really breaks my heart what happened over in Uvalde. Um, for those that are catching up in our podcast, uh, we are having an interview with the candidate for Congressional District Number 1 in the state of Idaho, Kaylee Peterson. Uh, we are so happy to have her because it's been um, a, a pleasure to have somebody so young and with so much passion and knowledge on on everything that we are so concerned of. Uh, we have one last question, and uh, this is a really, I think it's really important. We have a, a, a crisis when they, with the environment uh, right now uh, worldwide. And uh, just last week, I believe, the new ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court limited the Environmental Protection Agency, the ability to regulate emissions. Um, and and I, I don't know if I should give you my point of view, but I, but I will just make a quick comment that those institutions like the APA, the Environmental Protection Agency, have been created for specific issues. And I feel that by the Supreme Court coming in and say, oh, no, 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 by the way, no, you can't do that, is minimize, minimizing the power in the institution itself. So my question for you is, number one, what do you think about what the Supreme Court have done? And as a Congresswoman, what would you do? The Supreme Court uh, really came down uh, this month and made life very hard for a lot of Americans, because I know uh, as a college student, the issues that matter most to this next generation are uh, reproductive rights and climate change and environmental uh, well-being. Uh, 
And to see the Supreme Court strip the Environmental Protection Agency of authority at a time when it's needed most is disheartening. Uh, Idahoans, you know, I was actually just looking this up. 97% of Idahoans believe that our lands and our outdoor recreation are uh, essential to our quality of life. 74% of Idahoans use our recreation each year. That recreation, our public lands, the things that matter most to so many Idahoans, including our agriculture, all depend on our ability to protect our environment, to prevent forest fires, uh, to protect so many different aspects that are affected by climate change and the effect climate change has on our weather patterns. Congress has to take drastic action. We have to find solutions because if it's not going to be through uh, the carbon credits that corporations get right now for pollution, then we need to legislate around that. But once again, we come into the issue like we do with Roe v. Wade um, and the Dobbs decision where the filibuster and the Supreme Court has created an absolute roadblock for progress in this country. And so we need to work around that. But absolutely, legislation and Congress's number one priority should be human rights and climate change, because that's something we're facing on a global scale. We are seeing people lose homes. We're seeing uh, economic instability. We're seeing uh, agricultural industries, fishing industries, logging industries all suffer. So it has such wide ranging impacts that affect all of us. It affects all of us. But most importantly, the younger generation is wondering where this leaves them. Fossil fuels have 50 to 115 years left. But the impact that has on this planet in that time span, when we have so many other technologies and methods and processes, we need to start innovating. We need to start protecting the EPA, protecting uh, things like the Paris Accord Agreement. So for those that uh, follow the last interview with Kaylee Peterson running for uh, Congressional District Number 1 in the state of Idaho, um, uh, hopefully our future Congresswoman, and you guys are with Futuro Latino, with the Idaho Democratic Latino Caucus. And we were talking about the uh, new ruling by the Supreme Court. This happened last week on regards to the Environmental Protection Agency, um, limited now by the Supreme Court on regards to regulating emissions. Why it's so important for us to know that and also what are the risks that we are facing based on this decision. So I'm gonna let Kaylee to tell us a little bit about it and what she stands for, what she will do as a Congresswoman and what are we expecting for changes? Absolutely. Uh the Supreme Court's decision to strip away authority from the EPA at a time when this is a national priority for every generation, but particularly this next generation coming up is shocking. Uh, this isn't just an American issue. This is a global issue and one in which we have a lot of opportunity. That's the shocking part. We have the opportunity for job growth. We have the opportunity for environmental protections, agricultural protections, 
climate change affects each and every one of us in new and different ways. It'll have economic impacts. It'll have displacement issues. So for the EPA to have less authority now to address this issue when it is a priority for most Americans is shocking. And as a, as a Congresswoman or those in Congress have to listen to their constituency. But it doesn't have to be a burden. And it's, and it's interesting to me, I hear my opponent and other people talk about this is a natural process and this is, this isn't a natural process. When we look at things like the Ice Age and other natural cycles on Earth, it was tens of millions of years. We have seen a drastic cycle since the Industrial Revolution began. This is a man-caused issue, and therefore we have an incredible opportunity to innovate new ways to address how we live on this planet. That means job growth. That means education. That means protecting future generations from the kind of extreme climate that threatens their quality of life, their ability to get jobs, their abilities to live in certain areas. So absolutely, in Congress, I would support any measures necessary to strengthen the EPA and to hold corporations accountable for their impact on the environment. And this isn't just about climate change. I mean, we're talking about the pollution that spills into local lakes, water sources, land, air. We're talking about pollution that kills millions of people. Air pollution is a huge cause of death in this country, and that's not talked about very often. So I like to think of it as accountability for the impact that we have on this earth, but also possibility. We have an incredible opportunity here to innovate our way forward. So, um, and I know that, um, we, you know, sometimes we have so many issues that we don't even know where to start. And that's why um, I'm so glad that you guys listened to the previous episode because you get to know, um, uh, you know, what we are looking for. Um, overall, when you run for Congress, when you are running, um, a sta uh, you know, half of the state and as an Idahoan, uh, what what would you feel or how do you feel the environment right now uh do you believe that people are ready to make changes do you believe it's so radical that um we just gonna have to go with baby steps uh or do you believe it's something dramatic will have to happen for people to understand that these conspiracies about any and all the issues that we have talked about or blocking any of all the issues that we have talked about um, are not beneficial to them just because somebody says so. Um, what's your opinion in regards to the uh, ambience, the political ambience? You have people, they, they, I will say not the political ambience. I will say the civic consciousness that the Arajuans are having right now and what would you expect um, for the election coming up in November? It's it's difficult right now because there are people who have intentionally manipulated the way we speak about issues, the way we speak about politics. There are people who use this kind of divisiveness strategically 
in order for their own political interests. And I think people are tired of that. There may be 10% on either side that is radical and fringe and loud, but there's 80 to 90% of Idahoans who are just reasonable everyday people and want real leadership. Someone who's not going to play on their fear and frustration, but instead unite us to work towards our common goals. Because all of us want the same things out of life. We all want a purpose. We all want opportunity. We all want security for ourselves and our family. We all want communities that we can be a part of that have stability and the future. And so our leadership should be able to define ways in which we have common goals. But that's difficult to overcome right now. Uh, I've looked at this two ways. One, I need to point out uh, the ways in which my opponent has not lived up to his promises. Because with all of his, with all of his messaging, with all of his kind of rhetoric, He has not lived up to what he said he was going to deliver for the people of Idaho. But two, it's energizing the people of Idaho who have felt disconnected from the kind of radical messaging that they see. They want concise, accurate, information-based policy. They want somebody who tells it like it is, who's not trying to play on their emotions or their frustrations. The people of Idaho are very smart and <laughs> they know when they're being played. And so I think having somebody who's just another member of their community who has the same interests that they do. I mean, I'm a working class mom. I'm on the lower end of the income spectrum. We have a family of four. I decided to go back to school in order to, to pursue this, but I have given up what little financial security I had through scholarships and grants in order to run this campaign. My daughter's outside of this room right now because childcare is inaccessible and unaffordable. So I am living the life that the majority of Idahoans are living right now. And they're just tired of politics as usual. So I decided to run because I want people to have faith in the process again. The only way we get power back is by showing up at the polls. There are so many ways we can get involved. We don't have to have it all figured out before we show up at a community meeting, before we show up at an environmental organizational meeting. We just show up and get involved because there's a lot of hope there. When, you, when you're on the ground working with the people who are doing the work, it is, it's filled with an enthusiasm for the future that we don't see in politics right now. So I want to bring that back. Right. I, I wanted to ask you, um, I don't have the percentage here for the state of Idaho, but I know in the last election, um, uh, let's see, we are 333 million people in the United States, somewhere around there, I will say. Don't quote me, people, please. But somewhere around there, one third um, vote for Joe Biden, uh, close to one third uh, vote for Trump. Where's the rest? The rest feel like their vote doesn't matter. 
And it's intentionally been made to feel that way. Uh, the political process can seem complicated and inaccessible. And right now, with the amount of dark money, PAC money, lobbying efforts that manipulate our political system, I understand why people feel like their vote or their voice can't have an impact. But it does. When I look at the amount of power our school board members have, when I look at the amount of authority the city council has, local politics are how we are going to redefine politics in this country. But the only way to do that is if those who don't vote show up at the polls. If the 18 to 25 year olds, the college kids in this country united for what I'm calling a party at the polls in November, they could completely redefine the future of this country. But we have to let them know that this is accessible to them. And we also need candidates. We have so many seats running unopposed in Idaho that it only adds fuel to the fire that Democrats can't win in this state. But I'd like to go beyond the label and look at policy and issues and how I'm going to have an effect on our community. And I think once I get in front of enough people with enough effort and energize and remind people the power that they hold in their hands, that we'll see a drastic change this November. I, I have a question for you because and I want the audience to understand that um, I'm pretty much looking things out of the box. Um, I was born and raised in Mexico, and I came to the States until I was like 22. So although uh, United States has become my uh, my home, uh, this is a country of my daughter, which she was born and raised, and I had given my soul and mind to the community and um, uh, to the country itself, to contribute like any other citizen. Although I had the privilege to live in a different country, I get to see some things out of the box. I was involved in politics as well in Mexico. And one thing I have noticed is that, uh, and I share that with my partner, which he's also from another country, uh, in this case, European country, where they have a different way to see things as well. And often we discuss about the patriotism uh, patriotism, uh, in, in, in our terms, it seems in a very different way. Perhaps from somebody from Europe, patriotism means uh, they went through so many wars that when you talk about patriotism, it's a very delicate thing. When they're going to sing the anthem, when they're going to put a flag, it's, it's not like you put the flag in T-shirts and shorts. It's a very delicate because they have been through so much. In other countries, um, uh, patriotism uh, has been utilized uh, or misutilized in so many different ways. I see a little bit of threat on that here in the States lately, especially. Uh, people put in uh, flags in the back of their cars, um, put in uh, flags in their house, and it's okay. I mean, they're, they're free to do so. But is it really that called patriotism because you put in a hundred flags in the back and nobody not contributing to the community and, and believing that the government should have nothing to do with you? Although when you want changes, you will go to the government to make those changes like what happened with the Supreme Court uh, having uh, 
uh, judges that were actually placed by a president, that the people that are against the government have placed the, uh, President Donald Trump, and I'm going to say the name because that's what it is, um, and they're not believing uh, on the government itself. As that's a, kind of like a contradiction, but patriotism is a dangerous thing. It's it's hard to define because patriotism only becomes dangerous when we go into the realm of nationalism. Uh, the idea of patriotism is supposed to be this idea that we fight for our country, for the people of this country, for the ideals of this country. But when that gets manipulated in a way where it becomes almost like a sports team, where you have to wear it, you have to identify as it, and it, it, it turns you against your fellow Americans and away from uniting for the future of this country, then it's dangerous. We saw this before the Holocaust. We have seen this in autocracies and tyrannies across the world. We have so much historical context. It's also interesting to note that I recently saw a study that showed a lot of hate and discrimination does not come from our beliefs about another group of people. It comes from the favoritism and the identity we have within a team or a group that are like us. When we look at the United States and being an American, it shouldn't be like the Yankees versus the Red Sox. You know, I'm a Yankees fan and I boo when the Red Sox are on the field. But when it comes to America, I look at my fellow Americans, whether they agree with me, disagree with me, whether they show their patriotism in a different way, whether they identify with the flag or they get involved in other ways. One of the greatest lies perpetrated, I believe, against the people of this country is that our differences put us at odds with each other, that they put us in conflict, that if you care about uh, serving military men and women overseas, but somebody else cares about homelessness, that you're in conflict and that you, you're not, you can't work together. So when I look at patriotism, I see the only danger in the idea that we should be pitted against one another. And also the idea that the federal government is a bad thing. Uh, for two centuries, our country has only survived because there's been a balance between federal authority and states' rights. They aren't meant to, one of the parties isn't meant to win. We're not supposed to get to the point where there's no federal government or where there's no state autonomy. They're meant to balance in a way where no United States citizen is left unprotected or left outside where they are not able to live the promises of the Constitution of the United States of America. And states' rights historically have been used to justify certain things in this country, uh, including the civil rights movement, uh, several things. So there's a balance there. But the basics is that we need to work together and remember that we are all part of the same country with the same goals. And that instead of arguing which one should win or which one should come out on top, we should be uh, negotiating how we find a compromise that protects all American citizens. Right. Um, I think it's important for people to make a balance, like you said. They said 
you know, let's say that I'm Republican, but as much as I would like to be Republican, um, if I vote for this person, I'm really voting against my own interests because this person is all for um, supporting, um, uh, you know, the rules that are coming on regards to abortion, and I'm not very happy about that. I mean, uh, I know that no, you know, not everybody's the same, and we're not here to judge, of course, anybody, but definitely to share uh, knowledge and the passion that uh, Kaylee is actually bringing today to the program. So with that said, I would love for you to say your last message. What would you like the audience to know um, in regards to your campaign, yourself, and what you're looking for for the next months? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I understand that so many people in America today are exhausted. We are coming out of COVID. We're hitting inflation, high gas prices. Whenever we turn on the news, we're hearing completely contradicting messages and information. Everybody feels like they're at odds with everything. And it doesn't have to be that way. I want people to be excited when they think about creating and legislating the future. I want people to feel like they have a voice, like they have a part in what the future of this country looks like. And it's time that we have candidates outside of political PAC and lobbying interests. We need everyday citizens to get to stand up, to get involved, to represent the voices of the average American citizen. Um, I know for me, it was, it seemed hard to imagine that I should be the one to stand up and run for federal office. But the fact is, is that the greatest politicians in life have been peanut farmers and <laughs> everyday citizens that knew that they and their communities deserve better. So my, my campaign right now is a grassroots campaign. Uh, we do not have national PAC or dark money interests that support us. Every dollar we have comes from citizens in Idaho that believe in the message that we can be better and that we need to put people over party, putting people back in the pol political process. So we need volunteers. We need people to get involved. You can go to KayleeForCongress.com. You can sign up to, to stay in contact with the campaign. You can ask me questions. I respond to every email personally. Uh, Any phone number that people can call you? Absolutely. You can call the campaign at 208-997-7919. Uh, if we don't answer, leave a voicemail and I will call back. I want the people to feel like they can make a difference because historically it has only been communities and civic leaders who have made the biggest changes necessary in this country. And I want people to see that as a possibility again, but I can't do this alone. I need visibility. I need help. I need advice and somebody who's good with TikTok. <laughs> right? I need, yeah, we, we, we need volunteers. Community. Yes. Lots of volunteers. <laughs> Kelly, thank you so much for being with us today. And we really appreciate everything that you did. Uh, we're so excited and uh, we look forward to talking to you before the campaign, I mean, the end of the campaign, uh, sometime um, before November. So we remind people to vote 
and to vote for uh, Congressional District Number One, whoever lives in Congressional District Number One, look at the map, call Kaylee. We're going to repeat the phone number one more time, Kelly. What is it? It is 208-997-7919. All right, guys. Thank you so much for being in Futuro Latino, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you.